As many of you already know, uh, a week ago this past Thursday, Vicki had um, an operation. And so she was in the hospital for a night and came home. And by the way, thank you for all the expressions of love and, and all the prayers that you've offered. And um, so with Vicki having had an operation and going through that, it created a new reality in our home over the past week. I have discovered that you cannot let dishes stack up for very long before it becomes a mountain. You see, the new reality has required uh, some new action. There are new requirements that come along with the uh, new reality. In any house, I'm sure that there's a division of chores, and we had our division of chores as well. And I'm enjoying being able to uh, take care of these things. It's just the new reality brings about new requirements. Well, as followers of Christ, we live in a new reality. You've heard these passages before, most likely. There's the passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, that God made him to be sin who knew no sin. That's Paul's way of saying that when Jesus was on the cross, God took the sins of the world and put them on Jesus' shoulders, that Jesus died for our sins. God made him to be sin who knew no sin, that we would become the righteousness of God. That's our new reality, that in and through Jesus Christ, we have become the righteousness of God. There's also that passage in First uh, uh, Peter chapter 2, verse 10. It says, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. That's our new reality. Our new reality is that we are God's people. We weren't a people before, but in and through Jesus Christ, we have become the people of God. People who did not know mercy, but now have mercy through the gift of Jesus Christ. A new reality. But with a new reality comes a new requirement. And the new requirement, in fact, if many of you, if you were simply asked, what's the one requirement that we would have in response to the new reality that is ours in Christ? And you would probably answer, love. The, the requirement is that we would love. We would love God with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. That we'd love our neighbor as ourself. But here's where we can get tripped up. We go, oh, <laughs> I know that. Move on to something. Move on to something else. We, we can affirm that the new requirement of the new reality is love and then go about not applying it to our lives at all. Or think that it only applies in certain situations or, or, or that it doesn't apply to my whole life. It's just kind of an ideal. Let's just have it as an ideal. We'll make neat little pictures we can hang on our walls. But it's not really an expectation, is it? Well, it, it is. In fact, it's so consequential that if we're not loving, and by the way, love as an action, love as a disposition, a, a choice, a series of choices moving toward people, if, if this is not active in our lives, it might be a sign that we don't have Christ in our lives. First John 4, 8, it says that if a person does not love, anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. 
That's how consequential it is. The new reality that we have in Jesus Christ comes with a new requirement that we would love. Yes, we're saved by grace. Yes, we're saved by the gift of Jesus Christ, a gift that comes through faith. Even the faith itself is a gift. But the new reality comes with a new requirement. So James writes to the 12 tribes in the diaspora, these Jews that have left uh, Jerusalem, these Jewish Christians that have left Jerusalem are back out in various villages and towns. And he writes to them about this consequential issue of loving. Our passage is from uh, the second chapter. It's the first 13 verses. It's a longer passage, so we'll stay in our seats. But let's prepare to receive the Word of God. Let's hear the Word of God this morning. James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. My brothers and sisters... Show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there, Or sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers and sisters. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word and may God add his blessing to our time together. All right, so let's just jump in there at verse 1. We find the new reality described this way. As you hold faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Glory associated with God's own identity, God's God's domain. And Jesus, the Lord of glory, the Lord of heaven. As we hold faith in Jesus, this is our new reality. And it comes with a requirement. Show no partiality. The, the word in the original language is to don't judge people by their externals. And it happens to be in the plural. So 
James is going to provide a, an example, wealthy and poor, but it's in the plural, so it's not just limited to a discussion about the wealthy and the poor. When we show partiality, we're showing a preference. People have researched what we mean by preference in the field of philosophy. They, they talk about preference involves uh, assigning value. We assign value. We make an evaluation when we show preference, when we show partiality. We say, this is good and this is bad. We say, pizza is good. Peas are bad. We say, pizza is delicious. Peas are of the devil and should never be eaten by anybody. In addition to assigning value, we express opinion. In showing a preference, we are bringing a subjective opinion to something. I happen to have some friends that actually believe, hold the opinion, have made the evaluation that pineapple belongs on pizza. They're wrong, but that's their opinion. When we show a preference, we end up favoring one thing over another. This is better. This is worse. Double A's pizza is better. Tombstone pizza is worse. Of course, James isn't talking about pizza, but about people. And specifically, he's talking about the subjective comparison of the value of people. That when we turn to one group of people and, and show partiality, when we make a subjective evaluation, a comparative evaluation of a group of people based on their externals that we're offending, we're breaking the law of God. In the new reality of faith in Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, were to show no partiality. So then he gives this example in verses 2 through 4. Now we know that James has already introduced the subjects of wealth and poverty in his letter, and he'll pick it back up again. That's the way James writes. He introduces something, and then he talks about a couple of other things, and he comes back to that topic again, and, and we'll see the topic of wealth and poverty come back up. Evidently, in the uh, communities to which he is writing in the churches among the believers there are issues surrounding wealth and poverty taking place so the example he gives here is that okay so you're together as Christians in a gathering in the synagogue he says if a, a wealthy person comes in and you say hey take this good seat take sit here sit in a place of honor we we want you to sit here because you're wealthy and, and a poor person comes in and you say tell you what uh, you stand over there in the description that, that this person's in filthy racks this person's uh, um, not dressed well probably doesn't smell well you, you stand over there or you can sit in the term is under my stool under my under my footstool and and you can sit at my feet And then in verse 4 he says, Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges 
with evil thoughts. I was in Walgreens this past week, and as I was making my way back to the pharmacy counter, uh, there was this other shopper in the store, this man. And we both had our masks on, so half of our faces are covered. But uh, he turned to me, and he gave me a look that you don't usually get from a stranger, right? So there was some kind of acknowledgement that he was making in my direction that he knew me. Well, I'm horrible at facial recognition. And, and so it's, it, it's made even worse when people cover up half their faces, I, although it's probably just as bad because I still can't recognize faces no matter what. But he fit, he, he fit within enough of a description that I thought, I know a couple of men that kind of look like that. And so I gave him back one of those faces of, um, uh, okay, uh, I didn't commit, but I didn't turn away. And so in this awkward moment, we're both going, do I know you? Do I know you? Do I know you? And he finally spoke up, I thought you were somewhere, someone else. <laughs> I made some kind of quip of, oh yeah, face masked, you know. <laughs> and I walked on. It's amazing how our minds work to make distinctions. That the software is in play. That we've encoded things. We've taken in data. We've made evaluations before. We have this software that's at play. And part of the trigger is familiarity. Right? So if there's familiarity, we know, let's respond this direction. But it could be that the software is wired to show partiality based not just on familiarity, but on desires. And James says, be careful. Show no partiality. Examine that software. Examine what you're giving yourself to. In the new reality of faith in Jesus, who's the Lord of glory, don't show partiality. James is concerned about when we make distinctions based on wealth and poverty. You know, it's so interesting to be studying this passage during this time in our culture. You've probably heard people bring up the term privilege. And people have used the term white privilege. Or, um, and so that's, part of, that's a big piece of our conversation today in our culture. But privilege... Um, has been an issue in all cultures. Who has privilege and who doesn't have privilege? And sometimes it's the majority culture, the majority population that has privilege. Other times it'll be a minority population, uh, but because of other laws or, or the, um, uh, the ability to defend uh, their, their position, it, it can be a smaller group that has the, the privilege. And there's something about when there's privilege, the default perspective of privilege is to believe that they possess power and permission. Do you get that? The, the default perspective of privilege is to believe you, have, you possess power and permission. So whatever culture, whatever culture a person happens to be in, if, if they happen to feel that they have privilege or that they just inherently have privilege, they go about 
life with this sense of power, like, like I belong here. Of course this is my domain. I have permission. I can move forward. And we don't even think about it. It's just hardwired. It's just wired into us. It's, it's part of how we operate. And so James is encouraging us, don't get sucked into preferring earthly privilege and power. In his culture, the wealthy would be the privileged people who have this sense of power and permission. Don't get sucked in. Be aware of yourself. Don't get sucked into that worldly emphasis on power and permission. He gives three reasons then. In the rest of the verses, he gives, from verse 5 through 13, he gives three reasons why this doesn't work in this new reality in which we live. When we show partiality to the rich over the poor, he's going to show us by his first reason, we don't value what God values. When we show partiality to the rich over the poor, we don't value what God values. And then he's going to show in verses 6 and 7, when we show partiality to the rich over the poor, we value what God doesn't value. And then in his third example, he's going to, or third reason, this is verses 8 through 13. When we show preference, partiality to the rich over against the poor, we treat as trivial what God has declared as vital. So let's take a look at what that is. The first one, when we show partiality to the rich over the poor, we don't value what God values. In verse 5, this is the way that uh, James puts it. Chapter 2, verse 5. He says, Listen, my beloved brothers and sisters. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor person. God's preference is for the poor. It's a thread that runs through all of Scripture. It's not that being rich is a sin. By no means. Nowhere in the Bible does it say being rich is a sin. But there's this preference that God shows for the financially and the spiritually impoverished. Whether it's the original couple, Adam and Eve, as they leave the garden, and who provides for their well-being. It, we can look at the, at the laws given to Moses and and these laws that were included about business, that, that business would, be, uh, it would need to be fair to all those, whether it's to the stranger, to the person who's poor, or to the person who's wealthy, that it would be fair. In fact, if you had property and you were growing crops, don't take all the crops for your own profit. Leave some of the crops in the field that those who have no property, that they would have opportunity to be able to provide for themselves. God has shown a a preference for the poor. Again, not that being wealthy is a sin, not, not at all. God, there are stories of wealthy people coming to faith, receiving faith in Jesus Christ. All the, it, It's in Scripture. When Jesus comes along, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In Luke's gospel, it says, blessed are the poor. God shows preference for the poor. And so when we show partiality to the rich because they're rich, because of the wealth, 
and we show partiality against people in poverty, we, value, we don't value what God values. God values people in poverty. And so to value what God values necessarily involves pursuing the welfare of the poor. You've probably played the game Monopoly before. Monopoly, the rules are set up this way. You want to get property. You want to purchase property. You want to build homes. You want to build hotels. You want to own most of the board. What if you rewrote those rules? So it's not just about building the, the, the homes and the, and the hotels, but what if the rules were written that you would work to care for the one who was losing the most? What, what if the rules were rewritten so that, that the well-being of the person who was losing the game was a priority to everyone else who was playing? To value what God values necessarily involves actively pursuing the welfare of those in poverty. Well, when we show partiality to the wealthy and against people in poverty, we value what God doesn't value. In verses 6 through 7, James points out, listen, the, the wealthy are the people that are actually causing you trouble. Why are you going this direction? Money does not provide what God provides. There's something about the seduction of wealth and power and privilege that can make us blind to the reality of how it really works in this world. Wealth cannot provide what God provides. I like to watch people when I'm out in public. I like people watching. I just, there's something, I, there's the sociology of it. So when I go uh, um, on a trip and I'm flying somewhere and I'm in the airport, uh, okay, so I'll admit that I do have a United charge card and that lets me be in group two if I'm flying United. But all the other airlines, I, I'm not in group two. I'm usually like in group 27, right? So it gives me a lot of opportunity to watch people get in on the plane. And there's usually this one line, the line that is invited to walk on the plane first. It's the Admiral Club or the first class passengers. And I got to admit, I, I, I look and I, I observe and I, I see, well, gosh, the people in that line tend to be dressed a certain way and they, they carry themselves a certain way and they get to sit in these incredible seats. There's space and they're not crowded. There's no middle seat. I'm a little envious. It becomes a microcosm of this whole wealth and poverty thing. I, I look and I say, gosh, I want to be in first class. I, I, I want to sit there. And I, then I'll play it through my head of, I, what kind of person in first class would I be? Would I be the one who sits up uh, and looks at the people coming on the plane and, and kind of gives them a look up? That's right. I, I'm sitting here and you're not. Would I be the one who goes, absolutely, I want the free beverage as soon as you can bring it to me. Bring it to me now. Would I pretend to be on my cell phone like I'm too important to, to miss a call? Valuing that sense of wealth, that, that sense of looking to uh, these worldly things to provide what God alone, alone can provide. To not value what God doesn't value. Do you get that? To not value... What God does not value involves confessing 
and, and repenting of idolatry. The, the people that James was writing to, listen, you're getting sucked into these relationships and, and you think this is going to open up doors. What if you were to then repent of that idolatry, of seeking in the world what God alone can provide? And the third thing we do is that when we show partiality to people of wealth and, and against people of poverty, is that we treat as trivial what God has declared as vital. Look at what it says in verse 8. In verse 8 we read, If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. Showing partiality based on income is a sin because it violates the royal law the law of the kingdom of heaven, the law to love our neighbor. As we've already said, to prefer prefer is to exercise or express value based on subjective opinion. So when we value a rich person over and above a person in poverty, we reveal our lower opinion of the poor person and assign them a lesser value. And as a consequence, when we do that, we withhold love and honor and respect. And when we do that, we break the royal law. And James says, listen, you break one law, you break them all. We might say, come on, Bob, everyone has preferences. Is this really that big of a deal? Look at verse 13. Verse 13 reads, For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Maybe you recall that parable that Jesus told of the unmerciful servant, the one who owed such a big debt to the king, and the king said, all right, I'm going to forgive your debt. And then that servant goes out, and people owed him just little debts, and and he said, he wouldn't forgive them and and he threw them into prison and the king hears about it and pulls this servant back in and says, listen, now it will all be taken away from you. We're called to show mercy, to to treat as vital what God declares to be vital involves submission. To treat as vital what God uh, considers vital calls us to submit to what he has taught. So we have this new reality in which we live. This new reality of grace and this new life we have in Jesus Christ, this freedom, this love that we have from God. But James wants us to know that it comes with requirement. It's free. It's free. You don't have to earn it. It's freely given, but it comes with requirement. And that the core essential posture of a follower of Christ is to love. Which means not to show partiality on things that are not of internal importance. So whether the other person is tall or short, thin or heavy, rich or poor, whether or not we find the other person attractive or intelligent or witty or fun, regardless of whether the person's a protester, a person has COVID-19, or a person's a Cubs fan or a Cardinals fan, we're called to love. 
So what would it be if in this season, this season in our culture of great division, a season where we're going to vote on a president and a direction for the country, a season of a pandemic and all the strife that goes on with that, what if in this season we had this expectation that God was going to grow our commitment to love, that he was going to rework the software in our brain, and, and that we would show up and choose to love the people in front of us in the way of Christ. In this temporary reality in which we find ourselves, in this world, in, in this season, what if we raised our expectations of what God would accomplish in how we love, choosing not to show partiality, but choosing to show love to all God puts in our path? God, how would you have me love this person? Let's pray together. Father, we, we confess before you that there's this aspect of us that um, we give ourselves permission. Maybe it's just out of laziness or inattention or whatever it may be, but we can treat people differently based on our personal preferences. And so whether we tend to lean into those who are wealthy and away from those who are impoverished, whether we tend to give more permission to those who are of a political persuasion that we were a part of and, and not as much love or grace to the others, whatever it is where we're showing partiality that has nothing to do with you, would you confront us would you free us up from it? That God, we would live the law of liberty. That we would live your grace and your love in this world. To you be all the glory, God. Thanks so much for Jesus Christ and this new life you have called us into. To you be the glory in Christ's name. Amen.